Over the past um, couple of weeks, we've been looking at this letter to the Philippians. Um, And it's a letter which Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. uh, And it's a letter all about joy, where um, we can find joy and how we can have it. And over the last couple of weeks, we've seen Paul talking mainly about sort of himself. We've talked about his circumstances. We've learned that he's been in prison, that he is in chains as he writes this letter. Um, But And and he's spoken quite a lot about where he finds joy um, so far. But today, um, the the context of the letter sort of shifts a little bit, and Paul starts to talk about the Philippians more. He starts to talk about where they can find joy. Uh, And so let's look together at how he starts this section as sort of the focus of the letter changes slightly. Paul starts with this. He says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. He starts with whatever happens. I I found that really striking um, because of its completeness. Paul starts this paragraph, sort of starts speaking to the Philippians by saying, whatever happens, live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. This is an all-of-life call. Paul doesn't say when you have a good time or if you feel like it. He says, whatever happens, in the good and the bad of life, live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul is fighting for the Philippian church's joy. He knows that true and deep and real joy can be found in living for Jesus all the time. Not not just when life's going well, not just when it's easy. And that might be a a weird place to start, but it's important because Paul knows that the Philippians um, are struggling at the moment. He, He knows they're suffering, and they're suffering because they're Christians, That's the context he's writing this letter into. And yet he starts with, whatever happens, um, live live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. In life's highs and lows, in the good and the bad, whatever happens. And we get um, a small glimpse into what the Philippian suffering looks like. If you look down at verse 28, you'll see that Paul calls them not to be scared of the people who oppose them. That implies simply that, that there are people who oppose them. And that their natural reaction would be fear. That the Philippian church is being opposed by the world around it. They're not just coasting on nicely, having a happy time. They're having a hard time. They're going through the same struggle as Paul. Paul who's in prison because he's shared the gospel. This church is suffering and they're suffering because they're Christians. And yet Paul calls them to live a certain way. He calls them to live a certain way, even in suffering, even when life is hard. Paul knows that joy is found in keeping living for Jesus. So so when we're suffering, when when life is hard, it's not an excuse to give up on living for God. You might have come here today just feeling weighed down, feeling like you're really struggling, really suffering. You might be tempted to think, just life's too hard at the moment. I I don't want to be at church. I'll just step away from the people around me. I'm sure lots of us have felt that at different points. And and if that's you, Paul's really clear. He says, whatever happens, we're to live lives worthy of the gospel, even in suffering. Paul calls us to live a certain way. Um, But what is a life worthy of the gospel? I I think that's an important question for us to think about. If we're we're saying that if we're going to live this in the highs and the lows and the good and the bad... What is this life that Paul calls us to live? Well, 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 look down with me and we'll read together and see what Paul says. He says this. Then, 
whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. What is a life worthy of the gospel? Well, well, this life looks like unity. Over and over again in, in that section, Paul calls the Philippians to be one, stand firm, one spirit, striving together in one faith, pull together. That's his, that's his call to the Philippians. Paul is encouraging the Philippian church, even in the midst of their suffering and their struggling, to be united, to come together. Paul is encouraging them in their suffering to fight for unity. And oneness is a beautiful thing, isn't it? We're often moved by oneness. It's one of the reasons I think the minor strikes um, in the 70s and 80s were so powerfully remembered here and, and so heartbreaking. It's because people stood together. They, they came together. They fought together for something they believed in together. Billy Elliot, the, the musical, sums up sort of the mentality with its lyrics, solidarity, solidarity, solidarity forever. We're proud to be working class. Solidarity forever. And here... Paul is saying, we have something bigger to be united around than working, than working class roots. He says, we stand together in one spirit. We are saved and brought together by the same God. Paul is saying, suffering is not a reason not to be united. Yet isn't that so often what we're tempted to? When we're suffering, when, when following Jesus is hard... How quickly do we justify just being selfish and, and pulling away from other people? You may have found yourself saying or, or thinking things like this, life's too hard at the moment, I just can't cope with church. I need to give myself some space. Other people are too difficult. I don't want to go to life group this week. I don't want to hear about other people's problems. I just won't speak in this Bible study tonight because I've just had a really hard day. But, but Paul, Paul's not okay with that because he says the context of, of this letter is suffering. He says both him and the Philippians, Paul knows that the tendency of the human heart is, is to, to pull away when we're suffering, to get more selfish. Paul is calling the Philippians not to pull away from each other. He is calling them to be united. And it's a powerful image unity. Um, it's what makes the, the minor strike so powerful. They pulled together in suffering. They were willing to suffer together. When people are suffering, we tend to pull away. But Paul's saying, pull together. But, but let's just take a minute and think, how do we actually have this sort of unity? How can we achieve this? Is Paul just being a little bit unrealistic? Like, is, is this too much to ask? Are we actually just a bit too selfish? Well, we'll look down at chapter 2 with me, and we'll see um, Paul talk about how and why we can have this unity. He says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, 
If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love and being one spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Paul shows us that um, having this sort of unity, it starts with God. He starts by saying, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. He starts by saying, if you know this Jesus, if you have comfort in his love, if you have common sharing in his spirit, then this sort of unity is possible. He starts by going like this, this unity, it flows out from Jesus, from a relationship with him. But, but he goes on, he doesn't just leave it there. He goes on, he gets even more practical. How are we able to have this sort of unity? Humility is Paul's answer. Humility is where he goes. Now, you don't have to know me for very long um, to find out that I'm a crier, so it doesn't take much um, to bring tears to my eyes. And one of the things that just nearly always gets me crying um, is humility. When you see someone care more about something else than themselves, um, that often will, will, will bring tears to my eyes. Um, and, and I have a very clear memory of sitting and crying or watching the children's film this, um, Inside Out, which some of you may have watched and may have also cried at. Probably um, I may be the only one that cried at this film. But if you've not seen it, it's a film about a little girl called Riley. And, and the premise of the film is the emotions in her head are the main character. So she's sort of got five emotions. Um, so there's joy, disgust, anger, fear, and sadness. So they're sort of the main characters. And the plot of the film is that joy inside Riley's head goes on, a, goes on a quest to find one of Riley's most important memories. And, and this memory's got lost in, in her brain. Uh, it sounds a little, a little ridiculous, stay with me. But as she goes on this quest, she meets Riley's imaginary friend, who's called Bing Bong. And Bing Bong is a, a, an imaginary pink elephant. And, and they start questing together to find this memory. Um, and, and, and through a load of unfortunate events, they end up in sort of the worst place in the brain they could possibly be. They end up in the long-lost memory section of the brain, where if they don't get out of there, they'll be forgotten. Riley will never feel joy again, and she'll forget all about her, her, her imaginary friend. So, <laughs> believe me, the stakes are high. Yeah, yeah, they're really high. They don't want to never feel joy again. You don't want to forget your imaginary friend called Bing Bong. So they're like, we've got to get out of here. We've just got to do it. So that they, they start thinking, how are we going to get out of here? And then obviously, as all children's films do, if you're an imaginary pink elephant, you have to have a magical flying cart that when you sing its song, it will fly. So they find the cart and they get in the cart and they start to sing the song and they, they sing the song and the cart starts flying. It looks like they're going to get out of there. But just before they get out of there, the cart falls to the ground and, 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 and they can't get there. So they try again. And they get in the cart, they sing the song, and the cart goes and it starts flying, then it falters, and again, and again, and again. And, and, and it's starting to look like quite a hopeless moment in this film. Um, when Bing Bong says, let's do this one more time, sing nice and loud joy, and so they get in the cart, and the cart starts to go down the hill, and they start to sing the song, and the magic starts to flow, and, and the cart starts to fly. As it's about halfway there, Bing Bong jumps out backwards from the cart, and Joy makes it to safety. And at first, Joy is just, she's ecstatic, she's whooping, she's cheering, she's like, we've made it. And then she realizes Bing Bong's not there. 
And so she, she starts to look for him, and she turns and looks over the cliff edge, and she sees Bing Bong in the long-lost memory, cheering and, and whooping because she's made it while he's fading away to be forgotten forever. And at this point, I'm just sobbing. And I know, I know I've used words like imaginary pink elephant, so you probably don't understand why, but it's really moving. And I'm just really crying. And the thing that got me is the moment where you see Bing Bong, sort of the losing hope, and he, you see him quietly in his own mind decide that, that he's not going to make it, but he's going to let Joy make it. Decide that her mission is more important than him. It's the humility to think, actually, what Joy's doing is more important than, than him surviving. It's the caring for someone more than yourself. Self-sacrifice like, will nearly always get me crying, even if it's in a kid's film and it's not real. But I think we're supposed to be moved by that sort of self-sacrifice. That humility is supposed to move us because it's what we're made for, and it's also what we're called to be. And this is the sort of humility that Paul talks about. Look at verse 3 and 4 with me. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. How is unity possible? Well, only with humility. That's where Paul goes, isn't it? He says, Value other people above yourself. That's how we can be united, even in suffering. If we care for one another more than we care about ourselves. <coughs> humility brings unity. It takes humility to be united. Because unity demands caring about other people more than ourselves. And isn't that just sort of the opposite of the world we live in? I, I, I'm often, you often hear things like, I'm just going through a really hard time at the moment, so I'm going to have some space. We may have found ourselves thinking that. We probably have, if we're honest, that, that, that actually it's just, I just need a bit of me time. I need to look after number one first. Our culture tells us that all the time. But if I'm honest, I don't think that's just our culture. That's the, the natural condition of our hearts. We will naturally put ourselves first and then care about other people later. We don't need to be told to do that. We, we just do it. So I think it's important we listen to Paul here. Not just because it's right, but because this is where Paul says joy is found. Paul says we find joy in putting other people before ourselves. Putting other people above ourselves brings us deep, satisfying, lasting joy. In Inside Out, when, when, when Joy makes it safe ground and peers over the cliff edge, when she looks down and sees Bing Bong, she sees him celebrating. He's about to be forgotten, but he's dancing, he's whooping, he's throwing his arms in the air. And even as he fades away, he's encouraging her to keep going. When we are really humble, we actually care more about other people than ourselves, then we will find joy in their successes, in their life, in their faith, in them. This is where joy is found, in putting other people uh, above ourselves. Humility brings joy. This year, um, on Rory's birthday, we, we were at a beach mission, and beach mission days are, are quite full on, they're quite busy. Um, and this year, uh, Rory's birthday day was particularly full on. And we got to the end of it, and we just made hot chocolate for about 
20 to 30 people um, and we're, uh, we're washing up mugs and it's about 10.30 at night, which is past when we normally go to bed. Um, and, and as we're washing up these mugs, I start to feel pretty bad because um, on Rory's birthday, uh, he had swapped to do the worst meals washing up. He had been pied in the face twice. He had um, planned and done kids' work. And now after the time we normally go to bed, was washing up about 20 people's mugs. And as we were getting ready for bed, I started to apologize to Rory because if we're honest, I was the reason he'd done most of those things. I had volunteered him for them. And so I was starting to say, I just started to say, oh, Rory, I'm so sorry. I started to feel like a really bad wife. I was like, I I'm really sorry that you've had to do all these unfun things on your birthday. And he stopped me and he said, Amy, this has been my favorite birthday. Um, I've just loved having the opportunity to serve so many other people on my birthday. And if I'm honest, that felt a bit like a punch in the face. Because had the tables been turned, that is not what I would have said. Um, but, but Rory had experienced the joy of putting other people before him on his birthday. So I may not have reacted like that, but I would also have missed out on that joy. And this story is a tiny example of how humility can bring joy. Rory will be the first to tell you he's not always like that. But on his birthday, he had genuinely found joy in putting other people above himself on a day that told him that it should be all about him. But he hadn't bought into that lie. So Paul isn't saying this to oppress the Philippians, but to bring them joy. There is joy to be found in putting other people first. But this isn't just an order. It isn't just put other people above yourself. It's an outpouring. Do you remember where Paul starts? He starts by saying, if you have any encouragement... If you have any comfort from knowing Jesus, if you have an experience of his love, that's where we start. We start with Jesus. With this kind of humility, this sort of unity, it flows out of knowing Jesus. But then Paul c continues, he goes back to Jesus now. He says, then, then, then follow Jesus' example. So he says this, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We are to follow Jesus' example. And then... He doesn't just say that, he shows us the beauty of Jesus' example. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he, he made himself nothing. By taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross just in case we slip into thinking, this is all depends on us. Paul makes it very clear that, that living this way is a result of what Jesus has done. And, and he does that by reminding us of the gospel again. He reminds us of this love that Jesus has. The love we can take comfort in is that we have a savior who was there at the creation of the world, but did not consider equality with God something that he was going to use to his own advantage. But he gave that up. He made himself nothing. He, he became a human, and not just a human, a servant, a slave. And even then, as the God who made the world had made himself small into a human, he didn't just stop there. He, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. He decided to die, even death on a cross. Jesus is the ultimate example of humility. And we're to follow his example. We're not being asked to do anything that God himself would not do. 
And what does this humility look like? It looks staggering. It looks like the God who made the universe giving that up. It looks like the God who lived in perfect relationship in heaven coming down to earth, to a broken, sinful earth. And it looks like him becoming a servant to us. Humility looks like giving up our rights for the good of others. It looks like Jesus leaving the comfort of heaven to live and serve in a broken world. And as Jesus did that, as he came to earth, he didn't just stop there, he took it further. Jesus' humility took him all the way to death. Even death on a cross. That death on that cross means we have been freed from our sinful and selfish ways. That death on that cross means that we can be united to Christ. That death on that cross means that we can share in God's comfort and love. That death on that cross means we can share in his spirit. That death on that cross means we can love others more than we love ourselves. Because the very God, the very God who created you, cared more about your salvation than his own power and comfort. He gave those up. What does humility look like? It looks like sacrifice. If you're not a Christian here today, this is the good news of Christianity. This is the good news that we are so excited about at Grace Church, that Jesus cares more about you a broken human being having a relationship with him than he cared for his own comfort and his own life because he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross, so that he could be forgiven. But that's not the end of the story. That's not where Paul ends. No, he keeps going. Therefore, God exalted Jesus to the highest place. He gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Humility brings joy, but humility also brings glory. That's the pattern we see here, isn't it? Jesus humbles himself, but God exalts him. God lifts him up. And these verses, these verses that are amazing gospel truths, that are incredible gospel, what we believe, the good news about Jesus. Paul writes them as an example for us to follow. Do you remember he says, in, in your relationships with one another, follow, the, have the same mindset as Jesus? And so, and so there's loads of ways we just will never be like Jesus, but this is a way we can be. And so when we humble ourselves, we can trust that God will exalt us. He will lift us up. And just like Jesus is the ultimate example of humility, he will be given ultimate glory. Jesus made himself low, and God will lift him high. When we read um, verse 1, verse 6 to 11, we just get to see these amazing truths about Jesus. We see his humility. We see him making himself low. We see him being willing to die on our behalf. But, but Paul writes these verses as an example an example of what it looks like to value others above ourselves. We're to follow Jesus' example. But, but what does that actually look like? Here's two things, I think, 
humility practically looks like. Firstly, it looks like giving up our rights. That, that's what we see at the incarnation. We see a God who's willing to leave the comfort of heaven, who's willing to step down into a broken earth. Humility looks like giving up our rights and our privilege for the good of others. It looks like giving up things that, that are good, that we really may love, for, for, for other people to put them before us. And secondly, what, what does it look like? Humility looks like self-sacrifice. That's what we see at the cross, isn't it? We see, we see it. Jesus willingly gives of himself so that we can be forgiven. Humility looks like being willing to, to put ourselves behind someone else, to, to sacrifice ourselves for the good of others. Verse 1 to 5 of this chapter is a big call. Um, Paul doesn't beat around the bush. He calls us to be united for each other. He calls us to care for each other more than we care about ourselves, even in the midst of suffering. And he calls us to do that because that is where joy is found. But verse 1 to 5 is outshadowed by verse 6 to 11. Because Jesus' example of this is so much bigger and more beautiful. Jesus' example of this is so totally complete. There is no humility more humble and there is no um, sacrifice more self-sacrificial than a God who is willing to die for his people. Humility it is beautiful. It's beautiful in a kid's film, but it's so much more beautiful at the cross. And, and humility brings joy. Hebrews describes the cross like this. It describes Jesus going to the cross like this. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus knew there was joy in finding, in putting other people before himself. He, the, the cross, that moment that must have been so hard for Jesus, it described as he endured it with, for the joy set before him. Humility brings joy. Humility is beautiful. And Jesus is our ultimate example of humility. So in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, who being in very nature God, did not consider God, equality with God, something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God, Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let me pray.